Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, and perhaps we could read again just the verses 29 and 30. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As we come into the New Testament, we are brought face to face with Herod the Great, being crowned in his early twenties, he quickly established his position, ruling with an iron fist of cruelty. He eventually went the way of all flesh, dying his son Archelaus, wishing to succeed him. He was forced to come before the emperor in the city of Rome, presenting his credentials. Objections were heard not only from the Jews, but also from a delegation of the Samaritans. Even his own two brothers conspired against him. However, eventually overcoming every objection, he received permission to wear his father's crown, returning to claim his kingdom. He rewarding those who had faithfully supported him. He then poured out his wrath upon those who had opposed him. And this incident still being fresh in the minds of the people, we find the Lord here taking it up and using it to illustrate spiritual truth. Addressing his audience, he told them that why he, like Archelaus, would leave them for a season, yet he also would return. And coming to claim his kingdom, he would reward those who had faithfully followed and served him. However, he would pour out his wrath, his wrath upon those who had rejected the opportunities in the gospel that he had given to them. And you see, while the Lord has ascended into heaven, he will one day descend again from heaven. And setting up his throne, he will demand of men what they have done with the opportunities that he has given to them in the gospel. Indeed, the apostle Paul, speaking to the Romans, he said, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. You see, not only is there a day of receiving, but there is also a day of reckoning, a day when we will have to give an account of what we have done with the invitation of the gospel that has been given to us time after time. It's interesting to notice in this parable that he didn't give to all men the same number of talents. To one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave uh, three ta two talents. And to another, he gave one talent. And while some have more opportunities to be saved than others, yet each one of us, each one of us standing before the judgment throne, will have to give an account. We'll have to give an account of what we did with the opportunities that came our way. And perhaps as you said in this meeting this evening, you have to say, preacher, I don't belong to the category of the one. I have had many opportunities I have heard the gospel not three times or five times, but I have heard the gospel many, many, many different times. My friend, remember the day is coming 
The day is coming when you'll stand before Christ and you'll have to give an answer, an answer for what you have done with the message of the gospel. And so I want this evening to draw your attention not to the one who received five talents or two talents, but to the one who received the one talent. I want you to notice firstly here his corruption. Passing sentence upon the servant, his Lord described him in verse 26 as being wicked and slothful. Heaping adjective upon adjective, he then described him in verse 30 as being unprofitable. And exposing his wickedness, you notice here that there was a failure. There was a a failure in his works. While he had received from his master's bounty, yet he said, verse 25, And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. The talent was a unit of weight weighing between 50 and 80 pounds. Its exact value depended upon the material out of which it had been made. If made of silver, it would have been the equivalent of 16 and a half years' salary. And as such, in receiving this talent, this man was given a unique opportunity, an opportunity to promote his master's wealth, and more than that, to promote his master's glory. However, instead of taking that opportunity, we find him taking the talent, and we find him burying it in the ground. And failing to use this opportunity, his master now describing him as wicked, he then cast him out. You see, the failure to use gospel opportunities is not only foolish, but it is fatal. It brings down the wrath of eternal God. Indeed, in the days of Deborah, the city of Meroz was exceedingly strong and it was well placed. However, its people failing to come to the aid of the Lord's people, we read in Judges 5.23, Curse ye Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord. While they did not go out to battle to the aid of God's people, yet doing nothing. We find that the Lord described them as wicked, and he cursed them. You see, in order to be lost, gospel opportunities don't need to be rejected. They only need to be neglected. Just bury them, and the day will come that they will bury you. An old Greek proverb tells of a statue called Opportunity. A traveler passing by the statue one day, he asked, Why art thou standing on my toes? The statue answered and said, To show how quickly I pass by. He then asked, But why is thy hair so long in the forehead? He said, So that men may seize me when I pass by. He then asked, Why is thy head so bald at the back? And he answered, to show that when I have passed, I cannot be caught. And you see, my friend, when those gospel opportunities pass, it is too late. There is no more hope. You know, the businessman 
In order to ruin his business, he doesn't need to commit fraud. All that he needs to do is to neglect his business. And if he neglects it day after day, week after week, soon he will find himself bankrupt. And you know, tonight to be lost, you don't have to commit murder. You don't have to commit some horrendous sin. All you have to do is do nothing. Do nothing. This man took the opportunity that he had been given, an opportunity to serve his master, an opportunity to bring his glory to his name, and he took it and he buried it in the ground, and he did nothing about it. And I wonder, my friend, as you sit under the sound of the gospel this evening, I wonder, is that what you're doing? Are you burying the opportunity? Am I doing nothing about it? Am I burying it in your mind? Am I thinking about other things in the hope that it will pass away? Not only was there a failure in his works, but you notice there was a failure in his words. Seeking to defend himself, we read verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. He accused his master of being a hard man with a sordid and a gripping disposition of oppressing the poor, forcing them to sow for him, and then reaching out and taking all of the gain for himself. And while this man who had received the one talent, unlike the prodigal, had not wasted his substance on riotous living, nor used it for his own advantage, yet harboring in his heart evil and wicked thoughts concerning his master, his master here described him as being wicked and unprofitable. You see, the mere thinking of evil is evil in the mind of God. It is sin. Indeed, Solomon, enlarging upon this, he said in Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. While they were outwardly professing kindness, yet inwardly their hearts were seething with anger. And rebuking them, he reminded them that their true state was not their outward pretense, but it was their inward rebellion. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking there in this Sermon on the Mount, he reminded the multitude that the thinking of adultery in their mind was as a sin of adultery. You see, a man is not what he thinks he is, but rather he is what he thinks. His heart is no better than his thoughts. Plumer rightly said, thoughts even more than over our acts reveal character. You see, you are no better than your thoughts. You can take a gallon of red paint and you could go out and buy yourself an old rotten rowboat. And you could take the paintbrush and you could paint the rotten boards. And when you're finished, it looks like a lovely rowing boat. It may look so good that people might even queue up in order to get onto the boat. 
But once you get out into choppy waters, my, the, the, the timber's splitting. It'll sink. And my friend, you can take, as it were, paint, and you can paint over those evil thoughts that are in your heart so that people think that you're a good person and an upright person. But my friend, as you come to the judgment, the judgment seat of God, that outward facade breaking open, it'll bring down the judgment of God. You see, tonight it may be true. It may be true. You, my, did not drive the nails into the Savior's hands. You did not take the whip and lash the Savior there again and again. But listen, my friend, if you have thought those things in your heart, you're guilty. Guilty before God. This man had evil thoughts of his master. And now we find the master condemning him. You see, you will be condemned not just for outward acts, but even those thoughts bring the judgment of God. Not only was there a failure in his words, but there was a failure in his wisdom being confronted with his wickedness. We read in verse 25, And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. Rather than acknowledging his guilt and, and sin, my he sheer sought to shift the blame, accusing his master of being overbearing and oppressive. He argued that it was all his master's fault. After all, he said, it was you. It was you by your life. It was you by your actions that made me afraid to go out and to speculate. He genuinely could not see that he had done anything wrong. You see, sin not only depraves the mind, it darkens the mind. It covers its tracks. Indeed, the prophet, speaking from experience, he said in Jeremiah 17 in the verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The word deceitful here means to supplant. And being a supplanter, you remember how the Jacob going out and he taking the goat's hair, he put it over his arms. Why? Because he was seeking to deceive his father. You see, the human heart, it is more my cunning and it is more corrupt than even the devil. It is out to deceive you. I remember reading about a well-known store and they were seeking to push some goods. And so they put up a great big advert in front of the shop. And instead of wording it, bargain basement sale on shirts with flaws for men, my, they wrote bargain basement seals on shirts for men with flaws. And as you can imagine, they didn't sell one. You see, it doesn't really matter whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. They don't like to admit that we have flaws. A few years ago, Paul Davis published a book entitled Blame Everyone Else. And that's the problem with the human heart. The problem with the human heart is that it seeks to blame everyone else. 
When men lose their temper, my, it's not their fault. It's someone else's fault. They wind them up. When someone curses the name of God, it's not their fault. It was God's fault. But my friend, it was you that took his name in vain. It was you who allowed your temper to run out of my control. And if you're here tonight and and you say, Preacher, I'm not too bad. I'm not like the man down the road. True, you may not be like the man down the road. You may not have gone into the depths of sin that he has gone down into. But listen tonight, you're still a sinner, a sinner before God. My, you've broken his law. You fail to use your life, to use your talents for his glory. And like this man with one talent, you have sinned. You have broken his law. You're under his judgment. But I want you to notice not only his corruption, but I want you to notice his condemnation. His master finally returning after many years. This man was taken unawares, being called now to give account for his lack of action. You notice here that his talent was seized. Condemning his slothfulness, we read in verse 28, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. In those days, there were many bankers displaying their money on benches. They were commonly known as benchers. And as well as exchanging money, some of them even were generous enough to give interest. One book tells us that some paid up even to 6%, better than you would get today. But this man, failing to take advantage of the offers that were available, his talent now was taken away from him. You see, what you do not use spiritually, you will lose eternally. Your gospel opportunities, if they're not used, they will eventually be taken away. Indeed, seeking to emphasize this great truth, the Lord, my told the multitude of a certain fig tree, and my which had brought forth no fruit, the man was given the orders to go and to dig around it and to dung it. And we read in Luke 13, verse 9, And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And failing to bring forth fruit the next year, he commanded it to be cut down. You see, while God strives with men extendedly, he does not strive with them endlessly. His spirit is eventually withdrawn. Remember reading about a young man attending gospel meetings many years ago and sitting in the meeting. God dealt with his heart. He was broken. At the end of the meeting, he put up his hand and he came forward and he got gloriously and wondrously converted. The next day, he went to his work as usual. He worked in a sawmill. And as he was working at the saw, suddenly his clothes got caught in machinery and he was pulled into the machine. He was bleeding profusely. He was dying. And he said, send for the preacher. And the preacher coming to him, he said, Charlie, I have come. What would you like to say? He said, wasn't it glorious that I settled the matter 
in time. You see, my friend, the Lord is not always going to be pleading with you. And if you don't use the opportunity, the opportunity that he has given you to repent of your sin and to seek the Savior, the day will come that he will take it away. Just as if you don't use your muscles, your muscles will waste away. And if you didn't get out of your bed, if you never, my, used your arms, and there came a day when you couldn't get out of your bed and you couldn't use your arms, my friend, whose fault would it be? It would be your fault. And you know, if those gospel opportunities are taken away, it'll be your fault. It'll be your fault. How good God is, he has given you opportunity. And he has given you many years. But my friend, do not presume because he has given you many years that he will give you many more years. The day will come when he'll take it away. Not only was the talent seized, but you notice also his tongue was silenced, seeking to defend himself. The master then said in verse 27, Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. In defending himself, he argued that his master was a harsh and cruel monster demanding that which he had not given. And taking up these words, his master now argued that if that was so, if he was such a cruel, harsh master, then ought he not to have been afraid. Then ought he not to have gone out and used his talent to bring in more talents. He verbally hanged himself with his own verbal rope. You see, my friend, in the day of judgment, every sinner will be silenced. Their every argument will be demolished. Indeed, speaking of that day, Eliaphas said in Job 15, verse 6, Thine own mouth condemneth thee, and not I. Yet thine own lips testify against thee. And he warned them that in that day, their own lips would condemn them. You see, there is no justification for rejecting Christ. And in that day, every argument will be annihilated. My, in that day, you can say, but Lord, but Lord, I was interested but Lord, I couldn't keep it. And the Lord will say, but remember I told you that I will keep you. You say, but preacher, I thought my sins were too great. But in that day, he will remind you that he is able to take the greatest sin and he is able to save unto the very uttermost. You may say in that day, but Lord, there were hypocrites, too many hypocrites in the church, but he will remind you, and he will remind you that he told you that, yes, there are hypocrites, but every man will give answer for himself. You may say in that day, but, pre but Lord, there was not the opportunity. 
And the Lord will say, did you not sit in that meeting that Sunday night as the gospel was sung and the word was preached and read? You see, my friend, in that day, you will have no argument. Just as this man was silenced, just as this man had no defense, if you reject Christ and are damned, you'll have no argument, no defense. Notice also his treachery was sentenced. Look at verse 13. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you notice here that he was not merely cast out into darkness, but he was cast out into outer darkness. In outer darkness, there's not a single ray of light. And in Scripture, light speaks of hope. You see, being condemned, the sinner will not only be cast into darkness, but into despair. There will be no hope. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, in hell there is no hope. They have not even the hope of dying. And my friend, die in your sin. And you know the worst thing to bear will be that knowledge that there's no hope. That there's no hope. That even when you're there 10,000, thousand, thousand years, there still be no hope. This man was privileged. Oh, he maybe didn't have what the others had, but nevertheless, he was privileged. But he didn't use it. And now he was condemned. But lastly, not only do we notice his corruption and his condemnation, but notice his cry, being cast out into outer darkness. His words of excuse then became cries, cries of agony. Notice here, it was a cry of anger. Look at verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth in Scripture speaks of anger and hatred. For example, the crowd being cut to the depths by my Stephen's words, they stoned him. And lifting the stones and throwing them against him, we're told they gnashed on him with their teeth. And as such, there being here gnashing of teeth, he was indicating that in hell there would be hatred. Hatred. You see, in hell there is no love and there is no affection. The souls of the damned are consumed by anger. You remember the rich man and how coming to Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, send word to my brothers. Tell my brothers not to come into this terrible agony. My friend, it wasn't because he loved them. It wasn't because he was concerned about their souls. No. He knew that if they came to hell, they would make his hell a hundred times worse. My, because they, remembering his words, 
remembering his example and blaming him for leading them there. They would be full of anger. There's no love in hell. Hell is a place of bitterness. Hell is a place of anger that is never cooled and hatred. Not only was it a cry of anger, it was a cry of agony. Verse 30, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. My pain suddenly shooting through your body. What do you do? You gnash your teeth. Teeth, my, the gnashing of teeth, it speaks of pain. You see, hell is not my, a, a place of pleasure. It's a place of pain. My, its flames torment the souls of the damned night and day. My friend, the very thought of it made Belshazzar to be loose and for his knees to knock. People often describe their lives today as a living hell. How foolish they are. My friend, take the worst suffering in this world, and there's much suffering in this world, but take the worst suffering of this world and multiply it by infinity. And you have a little picture of the pain and suffering of hell. It's not only a cry of agony, it was a cry of alarm. Look at verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. One thing the Jew feared more than anything else was darkness. The Jew would never dream of going out at night without the torch. And as such, in casting them out into outer darkness, he was casting him out into a place of fear. Hell is not a place of joy. Hell is a place of, of, of fear. There, there are horrors beyond imagination. We look across the world and we see a world torn by strife. Day by day, we hear of the pain and the suffering of individuals. We read of those living in fear. But my friend, is nothing. It's nothing to the fear that fills men's hearts in a lost, Christless eternity. Here was a man, and he was privileged. Oh, he didn't get five talents. He didn't get three talents. He didn't get two talents. But nevertheless, he got one talent. But he took it, and he buried it. And not using it, he was cast out, out into outer darkness. And my friend, how privileged you are tonight. Why, there are those across this world who have never sat in a church. Why, there are those across this world who have never held a copy of the Word of God in their hands. Why, there are those across this world and they've never heard of their need of Christ or even heard of Christ himself. You have been given an opportunity. What a privilege. What a privilege. And I urge you tonight not to bury it. Not to bury it under the thoughts of tomorrow. Not to bury it under the garbage of life. But my friend, to grasp it. And to trust Christ. And then that day when he comes again, 
rather than coming in wrath, pouring out judgment upon your soul. He will come to reward you, to reward you for your service, even unto him. Oh, the Lord is coming. He's coming again. My, it's nearer today than it was yesterday. And my friend, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before him? Are you ready to give answer? I trust and pray that if you're not, that you will tonight. May just seek the Lord. Use this opportunity and get right. Get right with God.